Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Who, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight this morning. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Laws, 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 and more laws. You're familiar with all these laws that surround us. You think of civil law. Of course, there's criminal law. Are you aware of space law? Are you aware of international law? What about military law? But then we come to the worst one of them all. One that you are all very, very familiar with, which is Murphy's Law. It hits all of us, no matter how hard you try to escape it. But what happens when you and I don't live with law? What, what happens in that moment? Well, an experiment was run just to see exactly that. A few years ago, a group of people said, this is an area in which we will have no law. This is an area in which we will declare is autonomous and nobody can break in. No police are welcome. We will run this place by our own governance and the law will have no statement here. So they forced the police out of a inner area in downtown Seattle. They called the place uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or CHAZ for short. And very quickly, this is a place you would like to have been because it was a bit like a Garden of Eden. People were happy. Music was there. Gardens were being planted. And there seemed to be a moment, a brief moment of peace. But it didn't last long. It didn't take long for this Garden of Eden to turn into Gehenna, for this place to look a little bit more like hell than heaven. Friends, it was so bad that Eventually, even the mayor, who I think originally championed it, came along and said that crime in the area from June 2nd to June 30th of 2020 rose 525% over the same period of the previous year. 
In addition to two homicides, two non-fatal shootings, an increase in narcotics use, violent crimes such as rape, robbery, and assault, and increased gang activity. It didn't take very long before everybody realized this party needed to come to a screeching halt. And so like the vinyl record, you know, that's playing and the needle scratches and and the cops show up and everybody flees. And what was interesting to me rereading up about this was how quickly these people within this autonomous zone in which no laws shall be able to be enacted, how quickly they came to the idea that we need to have some law and order here. So they held these daily assemblies in which the leaders of the community would come together and begin to go through and figure out the sins and crimes of all the people in the area and begin to determine what would happen with them and the rules and order. Friends, we cannot live without law. And when we do, it becomes very clear very quickly. We must, because of the fall, have law. The very people who say, get rid of your laws, get rid of your police, are the people who somehow have to come in and say, well, we need rules and order and we need some policing around here. I think when we come this morning to Psalm 119, we find a psalm that celebrates, that rejoices in, and praises the law of God, and in turn, in doing so, praises the Lord himself. This psalm that we're in this morning, it's the longest psalm in the Bible. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, weighing in at 176 verses. It would take me a full 18 minutes just to read this. I was tempted to do that and then just sort of sit down and say, hey man, see you guys next week. I think many people, if you got to the psalm as you're reading through the book, you come to this one and you say, this is repetitive. Uh, I, I kind of got the point in the first like couple minutes of reading this. And I think that that's the point. If you understand how a song functions, you know that there are certain particular pieces that repeat again and again in a four minute uh, song you'll have about 180 drum beats of, of the snare. You'll hear the snare 180 times, but nobody says, you know what? After the first four times I heard that snare drum, I'd heard enough so you can turn that part off. No, 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 no. The snare did its job in carrying the song along all the way through. Same thing when you when you gaze into a fire. You're aware of this. No, every We love hanging around a campfire because you see the, the flames licking to and fro, and, and we sort of get mesmerized by the fire, don't we? You see, this is how this long psalm functions as you see the repetition. It's the snare drum marching over and over. It's the flames calling you in, getting you to get sucked into the big idea of this passage. Now, in this psalm, we find at least nine primary ways that the law is mentioned, nine of them. Number one weighs in with 25 usages, which is the word law. Uh, Then we come to other words such as word, meaning the uh, word of the Lord, or laws, which is actually a different Hebrew word from the word law. The plural form is a different word altogether. Then we come to statutes, commands, ways, decrees, precepts, promise. Each of these have their own niche their own pocket that they fit into the psalm in with many overlapping uh, uh, usages, overlapping definitions so that they're each kind of forming a kaleidoscope that give us this 
psalmist view and delighting in the law. In our passage here this morning, we actually find, guess what? All nine words. We find all nine of these promise, precepts, decrees, ways, commands. So that you can see how quickly the psalmist is bouncing back and forth to give us this picture. The psalm, you should also know, is written in an acrostic form. So it has 22 stanzas because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet in each of the stanzas. We read two of them to open up our time. Each of them begin with the first letter of that. So if this was an English stanza, A would be the first one in which we would read, apples are delicious. And then you come to the second stanza in which it would say, bears are dangerous. And each one of these kind of taking on the next Hebrew letter. And so we began with Aleph, and then you can see that as a chapter title there. And then we come to Bet, which is uh, the flow that we're going to take this morning. So the first section we're looking at is Aleph, which is the blessed man. And then we'll look at the second section, which is Bet, which is the rich man. So first, look at me, look with me here at the first three verses in Aleph, the blessed man. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. This is a wonderful intro to this long psalm because the main idea is summed up right here for us. We are introduced to the idea that to be blessed is to walk in the law and the ways of the Lord. And don't skip this key insight that this is not just an external obeying of rules. That's not what the psalmist has in mind. He's not saying the blessed man is the one who checks the boxes because it is engaging not just the mind, not just the hands, but see here, it also calls us to the heart. This psalmist says here, those who seek him with their whole heart. And he also hints at the reality that we could wander, that our heart and our minds and our hands could wander from God. We see this in verses four through five. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways might be steadfast in keeping your statutes. For if he can keep them, then he will not be put to shame. His heart can be upright and the word of the Lord would not be, would not forsake him as we see in verse eight. There's a recognition that the law is good and that those who walk in it are blessed and have no shame. The standard that has come from God is worthy of praise, worthy of following, worthy of living by with our entire being. The follower of God must live under God. The blessings of God are found by living under him. When our maker calls us and he says, this is the way in which you and I should walk Well, we as his people, we know them. We will thrive best when we come under his rule and reign. Throughout scripture, in every epoch, every era, we find that God's people are thriving when they come under God's place, under God's people, within his people, under his rule and his blessing. That's where we thrive. I think some push back against this saying, now, wait a sec. Is God calling the shots? Does God call them in every manner? I mean, are we not free in any form? How does this work? Aristotle, 
think pushes us by saying, when every man lives without a law, every man lives without freedom. The picture is a picture that when we walk in his paths and his ways, we're doing exactly what we are created to do, that freedom cannot come then by creating our own law. Much like my opening illustration with Chaz, when you try to live in freedom, creating your own law, you become enslaved. This is the irony, declaring yourself autonomous and free from all rules, all constraint, and all the way of God is to to leave the way that you were created to be. It was leave the real freedom that you would have as you are who you're called to be. Some of my friends here who really struggle with some of God's laws, I don't know if you've ever read through, especially even in the New Testament with Jesus's commands where you're reading through and you're thinking, these are hard sayings. I think a good exercise to ask yourself when you do this is, where then do I get my standard of right and wrong? Where is it that I come to decide this is what's good? This is what's true? Is it that you do this by looking down inside you and saying, whatever I feel is good, that must be right and true? And friend, if you do that, how do you know? How do you know that what comes from deep down inside you honestly is good? And true? Why do you trust your own intellect, your own heart, your own mind in these things? I'm arguing this morning, the argument that I'm making is you should doubt your inner law. You say, I, I, I trust my heart. Have I not been taught that my heart is the very thing that I should trust? And the problem with this is that we need somebody outside of our hearts to tell us the real condition of our hearts. We need somebody outside of our hearts to tell us who created us to help us get understanding of what our hearts are really, really like. And when the creator of us does this, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. You see, your freedom doesn't come by you trusting your inner law. For at times your inner law may be right, praise God, but it often may lead you astray. It may suffocate you. It may drown you because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It is sick. And so we need to find the freedom then, friends, that we've been called into. You know, fish are really only free when they are where they, that God called them to be. Fish are, fish are only free when they're in the water swimming. If the fish says, I am autonomous, I make my own laws, I shall breathe the air and jumps out into the shore, what happens to the fish? It suffocates. Zebras are free when they're roaming on the African plains, running along together. If the zebra is plucked up and put into the middle of the ocean and says, I am free, I shall swim for a half hour, for maybe an hour, but at some point the zebra drowns. No, friends, I'm arguing this morning that the law is not really our issue. The psalmist makes it clear the law is good. And so, therefore, we will be most free when we are under God's rules and order. The law is righteous. It is true. It is holy. It is good. What's the problem then? The problem I'm arguing is it's not the law. It's you. It's me. Hear these lyrics. My biggest problems, not thinking that I'm the biggest problem. We do this so often. The heart of the matter is that the heart is the matter. 
God's image in me is marred and it's shattered. Did you hear that? My biggest problem is thinking that I'm not the biggest problem. The heart of the matter is that my heart is the matter. And the law is both a spotlight, a broad one, and a laser beam that's pointed at your heart and mine. And it's revealing that in my flesh, in my sin nature, is a wretched issue. There's a problem deep down inside. And then we come to say, okay, but what's the way out of this trap? How can I get out of this if this is the problem? And the law looks in my heart and says, guilty. The bad news here is that every man and woman who reads Psalm 119 and who desires to do exactly what it says, you have not. No one has ever lived this perfectly. And even if you tell yourself, I know I've messed it up in the past, but don't worry, I got it tomorrow. You lie to yourself. You will not complete this law perfectly. Ecclesiastes 7.20 puts it this way. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So when we survey all men born of Adam, this is true. Because we are all damned under Adam. On a one-way path to misery. Separated from the God who created us. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Friends, the good news this morning in light of this bad news is that this parable is 100% right until one man is born in a manger and entered this world. In which his mother Mary says, I am blessed. She says, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Is that because she has obeyed perfectly Psalm 119? No. Friends, it is because the son whom she will bring forth did obey Psalm 119 in utter perfection. No, we find that because she held in her womb one who would, on your behalf, transfer his righteousness to you and to her and to all those who put their trust in Christ. Friends, this is why Mary is blessed. Uh, She was not sinless. She cannot be your intercessor. Only Christ is your righteous high priest. And the good news this morning is that Christ perfectly, fully, magnificently obeyed the precepts, the rules, the statutes, the ordinances, the ways of God. And if you have yet to trust in Christ this morning, you you need to know that you can have this forgiveness in Christ right here, this moment, right where you sit, right in your heart. You can call out from your heart this very moment, Calling on Jesus, Lord, would you transfer to me your righteousness? Would you let me be blessed? 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God and put to death, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that right where you sit this moment, you can call out to him. You can clear your debt with God himself, and he would then lead you in paths of righteousness. Would you do that? Mary, on her part, she finds that she's not only blessed, but she is rich because of this good news come to her. He 
has filled the hungry with good things, she says, and the rich he has sent away empty. Meaning that wealth is no longer to be found just in valuables. Wealth is no longer to be found in the bank account. That real wealth is something that is that Mary's getting out of this good news of salvation come in Jesus. And so we turn then seeing that living under God's law will make you blessed, but not only that, it will make you spiritually rich. And so we turn from the Aleph to the second part that we're looking at this morning, that, which is going from the blessed man to the rich man. We see this at verse nine here. Verses nine through 11, we read, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, the first line here of of that gives us an FAQ. This is really the only question that is raised within the entire uh, long Psalm 119. It's only this one. And it it pitches things in binary categories, much in the way that Proverbs and Psalms do. You get this, this very stark, uh, either uh, with Proverbs, it's the way of, of righteousness or it's the way of folly, wisdom and folly. In, in the Psalms, it does ter- turn out to be more about righteousness and sin or impurity. And people are schematized into two camps. So again, the question here is, who can keep uh, who or how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer to this question is straightforward. It's actually found in the second half, half of verse nine. It says, by guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding this treasured possession, God's word, which keeps us blessed by holding on to it. And, and I know, even as I say that, there's some of you who say, well, Thomas, that sounds so easy. I mean, you make, you make it sound like it's just straightforward. And, and yet, as I've been living my Christian life, this is difficult. This is not easy to cling to God's word, to have this on the forefront of my mind. And this is why the psalmist, I think, even too, recognizes the difficulty of the task. We, we see him saying, do not let me wander far from your commandments, verse 10. We also read, Teach me your statutes, meaning this is not something that I'm just going to pick up out of the thin air by by a walk in the woods. No, this is something I need to be taught, verse 12. And then the psalmist recognizes he will be blessed if he's walking according to the law. And he highlights that like treasure is the way he ought to pursue the law. This is of great value and worth to know God's word. We are the most blessed rich people because we have God's word. Imagine if you and I, we go off hiking on a, on a trail out here down the, down the Salmon River and imagine that on the path, you come across a little pile of diamonds that are on the side of, of the trail. And, and if you're like me, the first thing you do when you encounter these situations, you look around. Who else is seeing this pile here? Who else is going to see me do this? And then you're like, okay, good. I'm in the clear. Sweep, sweep, sweep. And I'm running to the nearest hawk shop because... I'm, I'm going to be filthy rich now. But imagine that's not how God's word is with us. Imagine the scenario is completely different. Imagine instead of just a pile on the side of the road, you walk by this cave and you see the entire thing is lined with diamonds. And so you begin to get to work and there's so much wealth that is there. You'll never be able to spend all the money. You'll never be able to get to the bottom of this. 
this is an overwhelming amount of wealth that we have. And so then the, the scenario is in which you then call up each other here. You're like, did you know? Did you know? Come, come on down. Come get these diamonds with me. Get this wealth with me. Get these riches. And let's pile them on. And then you eventually, all the church is filled with it. Great. Move on to the community. So you're calling your neighbors. You're calling your family. Get up here. Get up here. Let's dig this. Friends, we can't get to the bottom of this. And it's not to be hoarded. Do you see? This is the way God's word. This is how the psalmist views it. This is a tremendous wealth in which you and I have tapped into this diamond mind in which there's more than enough to go around. So we share it with each other. We want everybody to know where this treasure is. And I, and I wonder if it's at this point a good moment for us to look at the fact that the law was not just something that was hammered in stone. It's not something that's just arbitrary rules. It's actually an expression of God himself. For God to be utterly holy is for him to be set apart. And if this is true, I want you to take the next logical step with me this morning, which is this. If this is riches, and this makes us blessed, and there's plenty of this to go around, and these are not just arbitrary rules that God came up with, you need to see that these laws, these statutes are actually an extension of who God is. He's revealing himself to us in these. Our creator, who wants us to be free when we are created to be who we should be, we recognize that as we follow these, we are then sharing the same character traits as our God. The God who created us in his image says, these people who are much like me, who share my image, I want them to be like me. And so we share the character traits of God when we are graceful people, when we are a people of justice, of mercy, of compassion, of honesty. All of these things are found in our Heavenly Father. And therefore, because of this, I believe this is when the psalm hits us, when we created by God, by faith, are His people reflecting to the world His image. And therefore, it is a great treasure and blessing to have God's law. I believe this is why the psalmist concludes with the idea of enjoying God's law and it not being a burden. This is not something to which we can, I want to bring to mind Jesus' commandments about the law. I think we think of these things as arbitrary, rote things that are just there to kill our joy, but it's the exact opposite. That's the lie from Satan. The lie from Satan is you are not to enjoy this, but how Jesus displays this to us. He says, come, come here, come to me all who are, are, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Bet ends here by making it clear that God's law is not a drag, nor miserable, nor a mere duty. It's a wealthy delight. See verse 14 with me, how the psalmist says, In the ways of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. You see that? In in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 
Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. To possess God's law, to hold it like riches. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. And when we have this in our hands, we own it. The blessing comes upon us. And for the Christian who's in Christ, this means that the law of the Lord is of great value and worth to us. So, when putting it all together, this blessed man, Aleph, the rich man, Bet, the one man together who is blameless and keeps the law of God. This is where I think there's a tension for us as Christians who say, now, wait a sec. If the blessed man and the rich man are the, the man who keeps God's law, how does this work itself out? I mean, where is, is grace in view here anywhere? H- how does this seem to work? I think elsewhere in the psalm, you, you almost read it in Psalm 119 as though the psalmist is saying that life actually comes to us through the law. For example, the psalmist will say, I will never forget your precepts for by them you have given me life. And we go, okay, wait a sec. We come to life by the law? How, how does that work? It, where's grace? And here, I think we're able to square this sort of thinking with, with something that we read in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, where it says that the law kills. In other words, the law damns us and the fact that we are unable to fully live it out. That doesn't mean the law is bad. doesn't mean we shouldn't follow God's law. And I could spend an entire hour, I think, trying to interweave how this all works. But for now, you need to understand, we're going to come back to this next week. You need to understand that Paul speaks regarding those in the flesh, while the psalmist, I believe, is speaking and meditating with someone who is in faith, walking a life of a believer. This is a person here that we're seeing in Psalm 119 who says, I recognize my salvation is of God. Jonah chapter two, and at the same time, I shall walk as the created being in his image, reflecting his character traits to others. And we come to find one who recognizes their weaknesses and having come to recognize God's law as authoritative and true. In addition, the law has a greater purpose to it than just calling God's people to live holy, which it does. Jesus says himself that the the law and the, the Psalms prophesy. They, they actually prophesy pointing forward in redemptive history to him. In our sin, they condemn us. But in Christ, we find one who embodies Psalm 119 in amazing perfection. Christ is the law with clothes on. He is the word incarnate. And we see from him in great detail, the law is never about checking a box. Rather, the law is about being embedded in a heart that loves God and loves his people. So that Christ enables us now by his indwelling spirit to follow the law. You and I can have victory because of him. Our union with Christ means we are protected from the law's wrath, from God's wrath coming to us. And our union with the spirit means that we are propelled forward in obedience to his law so that we can live out and and have the fruit of the spirit. Picture it like this, if you will. Here is Christ. And we are hidden in Christ, union with Christ, which means that 
when God, the Father, views us, he views Christ. So you are righteous. You are justified. And at the same moment, not just us in Christ, but the Spirit indwelling inside of us. So that now we are propelled forward to live out the fruit of the Spirit. This onward going sanctification, this this call for us to continue to walk in God's ways as we reflect Him. This means as Christians, when we hear the law, and more generally, when we hear God's word, which gives us his statutes, we really can be a people who say, thanks be to God. As I've been concluding our our sermon text reading every Sunday now and inviting you, uh, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I really hope that this is not going to become a rote thing for you. i My prayer is that this actually becomes a meaningful moment for you in the service. Because as we go through and we recognize that God has not left us in the dark, he's revealed himself to us with his commands and and his decrees, our, our very response ought to be gratitude and thanksgiving. I think it would be good for us as a people to do this, not just uh, this Sunday as we're looking at God's law, but every Sunday we should do this. So, for example, when I read, let us love our enemies as Christ loves us, the response should be, thanks be to God. Or I read, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Thanks be to God. Or see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the element spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Thanks be to God. Or let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thanks be to God. Or do what you do quickly. (laughs) All right, maybe not that one. But you get the point. For the Christian in Christ, the law of the Lord has great value and worth. Now, this may raise some questions for you. If we are to follow God's law, does this mean that everything we read in Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy that we are to follow? Thomas, can I eat that clam chowder? Thomas, why do we worship on Sundays and not the Sabbath? Do we have to live under the Old Testament law and not the New Testament law? All these questions and then some. Well, let me leave you with a little bit of cliff of a cliffhanger. To be continued. We'll come again next week and look at these sort of questions. For now, let me close in prayer. Lord, we think of where Paul says that he delights in the law of God in his inner being. But in his inner members, he sees another war that is being waged. And we too... Even in Christ, since this, we too, as Christians, feel the Spirit calling us to walk in a manner, and then we at times sense the flesh pulling on us. But we we pray that with fresh eyes and with a renewed spirit, that even this morning, that you would give us a a deeper appreciation for your law, that we'd see the, the, the value, the riches in it. And Spirit, we pray that you would call us forward as a people who then would display your character through the fruit of the Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.